Welcome to The Benefits Beat, the podcast that helps you navigate the complex world of benefits. Together, we're going to dive deep into the industry, breaking down the barriers and exploring different topics surrounding benefits. We will be bringing in subject matter experts who will share their knowledge, offering tips and tricks to help you understand, and more importantly, benefit from your benefits. Whether it's health insurance, dental, vision, disability, or other total awards you're offered, we've got you covered. Our aim is to empower you with the knowledge and understanding you need to make informed decisions. So join your hosts, Maggie and Zach, every two weeks as we explain the nuances, all in an effort to make it easier for you to navigate the world of benefits. Hi, I'm Maggie McConnell, one of your co-hosts for Hub Haran's Employee Benefits Podcast, The Benefits Beat. I have a guest co-host with me today, Carrie Glandorf, who's our practice leader here at Hub Haran, to help me with an exciting interview with Dr. Burns Blacksall, who's the Executive Director of Precision Health at the Christ Hospital Health Network here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Blacksall. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Well, we're so excited to have you. Um, Dr. Blacksall is a graduate of uh, Brigham Young University. Your PhD from University of Colorado in pharmacology. Uh, you completed your fellowship at uh, Duke School of Medicine and have received many, many awards and recognition, but most recently, a healthcare hero here in Cincinnati for health entrepreneur. So we are thrilled to have you here. And this conversation really was born out of a visit from, our, from you and uh, the folks at Christ Hospital just talking about what you have been doing in the area of genomics, mm -hmm. which we'll unpack throughout this conversation, sure. but maybe just give us a little bit of, of your background uh, beyond uh, what we see here on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> sure, which was created by our program coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, about 20 years ago or longer, um, while I was in training, um, was some of the first discoveries of understanding that our genes might impact the way that we respond to medications or that we are predisposed to disease risk. And um, I spent 20 years uh, in academic medicine um, and research, uh, really trying to use um, genetic information to help identify new diagnostic and therapeutic targets and then four years ago, I was given the opportunity to create an entire precision health program at the Christ Hospital. So that's the brief summary. Yeah, that's um, so. Talk a little bit about um, genomics. Yeah. What are what Break is genomics? Yeah, it's <laughs> a great question. So the it's kind of a ten dollar word for the way that your genes impact um, your health or your ability to respond to a medication or a treatment. Um, so it's. Uh, Largely just trying to understand the human genome and the way that it impacts uh, risk and response. How is that? Is that reasonable? <laughs> reasonable, yeah. Um, I think, you know, just to tag along to that and how the study of the genes are impacting the delivery of healthcare today, um, you know, we see a lot in our business uh, working with employees and, and working through, quite honestly, a lot of their claims issues, um, a lot of trial and error mm -hmm. um, in terms of prescribing or in terms of treatment paths. And so you guys talk a lot about the shift from reactive to proactive. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how understanding 
your genes can help you be more proactive or more precise as we talk about precision health. Absolutely. So the, you know, again, that, that shift in healthcare is the one that we're most focused on, which is becoming more proactive. Our, our system is largely designed around sick care um, and, and reactive uh, response to a, a late stage disease. Um, and I think it's relatively easy to understand that, um, you know, the, the famous Ben Franklin aphorism of ounce of prevention is better than pound of cure, which was actually what he said uh, right after the Philadelphia fires. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of fire prevention. And I think the same thing applies to healthcare. And we've had a great development in the way that we treat diseases. Um, but if you just think of the burden of treating a disease compared to the preventive understanding of a disease risk, um, then we could probably reduce the burden of health care and the, the cost of care and the, the burden uh, on the patient and the provider of taking care of a late-stage disease if we could understand it earlier and try to even prevent or reduce the risk or mitigate the risk early. And I'm going to jump in here a little bit. So like you said, the kind of being pro or preventive kind of is kind of a big piece of that. So trying to make sure that you can now, does it, does it apply the same? Like if you have an ongoing condition, so for example, I have talked about a lot, I'm type one diabetic. Mm -hmm. So I know, for example, I was put on a medication that has worked great for a lot of my type one diabetic friends. When I was on it, I had terrible side effects and all of these things that were just not, you know, they did not work for me. So it can, I think what I'm understanding is it could still kind of be a similar, you know, ongoing conditions. It doesn't need to necessarily need to prevent that condition, but can still help treat ongoing conditions. Yeah, it's a, and, and I'm very sorry that you've gone through that. Um, hey, 25 it, years in February at this point, it's my uh, whole life. It's, <laughs> you know, and it's not an uncommon story. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know, maybe a, a good highlight for the listeners is that um, in my personal experience, there are very few people that are aware of what the fourth leading cause of death in the United States is, mm-hmm. which after cardiovascular disease, cancer, and stroke is actually adverse drug events. Wow. Um, they are the leading cause of adverse events that happen during a hospital stay. They're the leading, fourth leading cause of death. Um, and a lot of it is this trial and error prescribing. So there's a lot that goes into precision health, but talking about drug treatments uh, mm-hmm. right now, um, there are international guidelines and even FDA recommendations for doing genetic testing before prescribing for nearly 100 medications. And it's just rarely performed, but wouldn't have been super cool for you to have known about the side effects before you tried the medication. Would have so been life-changing. <laughs> absolutely. And that's that trial and error prescribing that, that we're trying so hard to prevent. And it's, and it's not just any disease class. There are drugs in nearly every disease state for which we should be doing genetic testing before prescribing mm-hmm. uh, to try and optimize patient outcomes. Sometimes it's adverse effects, like side effects that you were explaining. Sometimes it's a really bad outcome, like mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes it's just a change in dose. But there's so much information there that uh, I would hope we start using more often. Yeah. So um, I appreciate the first time you came to our office, I think even one of our colleagues asked, how many genes are there? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the process to research and, and study this to impact the, the outcomes? And, and where is that happening 
um, in our country, across the world? How is that coming to be? It's a great question. You know, so some of the earliest uh, examples of, let's call them drug gene interactions, um, (coughs) were when some clinical trials failed and they saw groups of patients who just completely didn't respond. And I was part of a group that did that for one uh, type of study. And then you find that the the protein they're supposed to bind to has a genetic mutation in that set of patients. That means they're unable to respond to the medication, which is possibly what happened for you. Mm -hmm. So um, that was the early days. Now there are huge whole genome studies that can allow us to look so much deeper in this. Um, A great example is the United Kingdom actually has a genomic database um, of, of sequence on well over like millions of patients. And so you can start asking questions when you have health records like that. Um, So there's a lot of research going in on individual drugs during clinical trials, but also on overall response to therapy. So we've talked a little bit about drugs, which I've learned is pharmacogenomics, right? That's That's a $10 word. Fancy word um, for for that. Are there any other um, areas of medicine or, or certain conditions? I think probably the one we all know um, just through the study of breast cancer research is the BRCA gene. We hear that mm-hmm. one often. Um, are there any other specified conditions or disease states where this is a little more advanced than, than others? Yeah, and it's a great call out for cancer. Cancer really kind of led the way in what became known as um, personalized medicine or precision medicine. Now we call precision health. Um, and that was that identification of a genetic predisposition for a cancer. Um, actually, the, the first gene that was found was, um, was actually in colorectal cancer. Bert Vogelstein found a progression of mutations that led to familial colon cancer. And then along came all of these genes, like the BRCA genes that predispose for cancer. There are actually national guidelines for who should receive genetic testing um, based on family history. Um, and it turns out that about 24% of the U.S. population meets those guidelines. Um, and then among those patients, if we see all of them, about 15% of them are going to have a positive mutation that predisposes them for cancer. And then instead of waiting until you already have cancer, you can come to our high-risk cancer screening clinic and do the genetic testing and then follow up every six months, and we have a whole operating procedure for what you should do and what imaging you should get, and then when we refer you to specialists. And so that allows us to catch things very early. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you had shared some data that, um, you know, when cancers are caught after a mammogram, because patients are doing their annual screenings, mm-hmm. um, they cost less, they're less burdened to patients, we catch them earlier. So it's really a combination of the genomics plus the advanced screening techniques to make sure we're catching things as early as possible because um, that's better for the patients. Um, you asked about other diseases. Uh, the other major disease that has known genetic implications is cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. And it's not all cardiovascular disease. Some of them are genetic. Some we still don't understand. They probably all are genetic. We just don't understand them well mm-hmm. enough yet. And then there are a lot of um, the $10 word or monogenic diseases that mm-hmm. are caused by a a change in a single gene like um, cystic fibrosis, for example, mm. or things like that. So anyone with a family history of anything like that, we really hope we can, we can help them with some uh, genetic testing and then, you know, preventative care. Yeah. 
So what does the, the process to have your genes assessed? I'm not even sure I'm asking that correctly, but is it invasive? Is it costly? It's, What's involved? It's pretty simple. So, um, so let's talk about the types of tests one can get. So we already talked about the uh, patients with a family history of cancer, for example. And if they meet National Comprehensive Cancer Network guidelines to get genetic testing, almost all insurance, um, whether it's governmental through Medicare, Medicaid, or commercial, um, will pay for that testing. And then, of course, the cost just depends on what your out-of-pocket is. But um, for most of those types of tests, it's a max out-of-pocket of $250. Mm -hmm. So that's for hereditary cancer, hereditary cardiovascular, hereditary monogenic diseases that we've spoken of. Um, and at those, your, at the Christ Hospital specifically, uh, yes. yeah. So With it could us, vary. Um, it could vary, but it's not hugely variable. Yeah. It's starting to become more aligned. Um, and again, uh, commercial and, uh, and governmental payers uh, almost always cover the testing if you meet guidelines. Um, it, generally, we get the best DNA quality out of a blood draw for this type of testing. And so we recommend that. Um, if patients are averse to that or they have other things we can do, um, you know, a, a spit sample. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to make sure you haven't eaten steak because then we just find cow. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that, it, is that, within, are you being joking or is that uh, real? Yeah. <laughs> we just really, we really want to make sure that patients, if we do uh, anything, you know, a mouth swab of some sort, or a spit sample. We want to make sure the patients haven't eaten or had anything to drink in 30 minutes so that wow. we don't find other random things. <laughs> I would not have thought about yeah. that, but that makes sense, there I suppose. Go. Yeah. Um, so, so that's for those, um, those type of diseases if you have a family history. There's also um, tests available that are proactive, mm -hmm. that are clinically actionable. So let's talk about the difference between that. There are a lot of direct-to-consumer tests like uh, 23andMe and things like that, mm -hmm. which are wonderful. You get all sorts of cool ancestry. Hopefully you don't find out that your dad isn't your dad or something <laughs> like that. Um, but um, there are proactive, clinically actionable genetic tests um, that are different th from those direct-to-consumer that you can do even if you don't meet any guidelines and you just want to be proactive about your health. And So I think those are a wonderful opportunity as well. And a, a random fact that I'll mention, um, also, um, we have a growing number of um, kids being adopted mm -hmm. in this country. And particularly if you don't know the family history of the adoptive, uh, of, of the birth parents, um, patients generally will qualify for that genetic testing as well because it's an opportunity to be proactive about your health. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting because we are seeing in our, um, the work that we do with employers, um, we are seeing specifically on the pharmacy side of things some, um, you know, programs in the market that are widely available for people to proactively um, just have as part of their medical records. Things that you know they they know they'll have better success on certain uh, pharmaceuticals versus not. And so we're starting to see employers, even if it's not covered by insurance, um, adopt and allow their employees to have these tests proactively. And um, even, I think, uh, Hub Haran, we did a trial on um, one that assessed just your general genetics and how that matches up with, you know, nutrition and fitness and mm -hmm. how well your body will respond or, or not respond. And so we're seeing more and more of this, I think, because of the work that we do. But I don't know that broadly everyone knows that this exists in the marketplace. Yeah, it's um, 
it's pretty uncommon at the Christ Hospital we're actually running the world's, uh, to our knowledge, the world's first prospective randomized controlled trial of pharmacogenomic testing um, to optimize prescribing. And then I think what's different about the way we're doing it is we actually have a team of pharmacists who then make sure that we optimize medications across the whole care team, um, which is, I think, the, the real challenge. Uh, oftentimes, patients will do some testing that will help optimize, say, their behavioral health medications. So antidepressants are a big one. They Patients, uh, it, the most common pharmacogenomic, there's that $10 word yeah. again, <laughs> mutation, um, is in the gene that breaks down um, the antidepressants. And um, so about 40% um, of patients fail their first, and they try a second, and sometimes they try a third. Uh, and that's a year of life gone because it takes four or five months to figure out if it's working or not, and then you try another and another. Um, and wouldn't it be great if you could optimize that? But then my question is, if you optimize your antidepressant, but you still are not taking the right, let's say, heart medication, um, maybe you're still depressed. Yeah. Um, so uh, we advocate for uh, doing the broadest clinically actionable test possible to help to optimize medications across the spectrum. Yeah. You know, it does raise, when we see some of these um, direct-to-consumer tests, the question then becomes, okay, well, how do you educate the person to have the conversation with their doctor? And, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the, the studies that we do within our data showing the important role that primary care plays in the management of chronic disease and mental health and prevention of catastrophic, catastrophic events. Um, it seems like doing this is a no-brainer. Is the medical community keeping up? If I took my personal test to my uh, doctor, would they know what to do with it? Yeah, so if we, um, it's a great question. And so if we talk about timeline, the human genome was sequenced completely in around 2000. Um, and if you think that over half of your healthcare providers received their medical education prior to that, um, this is still a relatively new field. And um, in a, a rapidly moving healthcare environment, and especially after COVID when everything changed every day, um, it's not easy to change knowledge and practice uh, and implement. Um, so, for example, I, I trained with the, the group that pioneered beta blocker treatment, and it took 15 years for that to become a standard of care practice, despite the very obvious evidence that it wow. was beneficial. And that's true of almost all medications. There's great examples in, in the precision health area of oncology. One of the other things you can do um, which is really quite fascinating, is um, some cancers have this hereditary predisposition we spoke of, but many of them arise spontaneously um, through a spontaneous something that creates a genetic mutation. So think Chernobyl, for example. And, um, and so we can then take the, the tumor itself and um, sequence the DNA within that tumor to see if there's a spontaneous mutation and then about 20 years ago, people started developing medications that targeted that specific mutation within the tumor. So it's becoming that, you know, that magic bullet mm -hmm. for specific types of tumors that have specific type of mutations. And, and so that's, that's also a very exciting area yeah. of what we're doing. But there was an editorial about two years ago that spoke to the fact that 
although that has been around for almost 20 years, <clears throat> at the time of the editorial, <clears throat> excuse me, less than uh, 15% of patients who warranted the testing were actually getting it. So I think a lot of times new things come along, they're super cool, but our ability to implement uh, mm -hmm. just takes so long. Um, and so I think one of the greatest things we could do is optimize the implementation of the knowledge that we already have. Yeah. Um, and you talked a little bit about what you're doing at the Christ Hospital, and I think that was um, what what kind of uh, turned some of our thinking about primary care on its head a little bit is, oh, like, what is better primary care? Um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about the program and uh, that you're leading the Precision Health Program sure. and, and how you're really trying to actually get ahead of, you know, some of the catastrophic events, but also... Um, improve outcomes at the primary care level? It's a, it's a great question. Thank you so much. And, and I'll just call out some of the data that I think you have gathered, which is that people who regularly engage with their primary care physician have an 11% reduced costs and better outcomes. So now imagine if you were engaging with your primary care physician who also understood your genetic basis of disease and the genetics that would predict and optimize the way your medications are being used to treat. Um, whatever they're aimed to treat. And uh, so I, I would imagine that with a, a primary care physician who also engaged in precision health, that number would be even larger mm -hmm. of a reduced cost and optimized outcome. So the way that we are deploying at Christ Hospital um, is first we're trying to catch people who have a known hereditary risk. So we have interactive, uh, the, they're called chatbots. They're really just sent to you by text or by email, and then the patient interacts with them directly, and, it, and the data goes directly into our medical record so that anyone in our system or across uh, the, the medical record environment can see whether or not you meet guideline criteria for hereditary cancer testing or if you are at higher risk for developing cancer. And um, then we have automated referrals that... Um, then go into our work queue and we can contact the patient within 24 hours and offer them an opportunity to come in to see a genetic counselor and on the same day, same time, also see um, one of our advanced practice providers in the high-risk cancer screening clinic. And then if they meet criteria um, and if we have a positive genetic finding, for example, um, we also uh, will test all of their blood relatives for free. Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to optimize care for the entire family. Um, across the blood relatives. Um, and then also if they qualify um, or if they have an actionable genetic mutation, we'll start seeing them more frequently in our high-risk cancer screening clinic or um, refer them out once it's time if we find something on that 3D mammogram or MRI or if, uh, if we have other reasons um, to refer them out. Um, so that's one thing we're doing to try to optimize. And in our first uh, couple years, we had over 54,000 people fill that chatbot out. We had 12,000 uh, who met the genetic testing criteria, which is that kind of 24% I was telling you about. Um, and then out of that, you can do the math, and 15% of them have a positive actionable mutation, and we now follow them. And um, So that's, that's one of the things we've been doing. Um, we have another uh, pilot study that we're doing right now with an interactive chatbot about cardiovascular disease risk. 
Um, and so we ask about family history and current diagnoses, and there are some that warrant genetic testing for those. Um, so that's another key component of our program. And then the third one, that which we've spoken of, is this uh, pharmacogenomics. So there are a lot of systems where you can get, and there are even now direct-to-consumer pharmacogenomic tests. The FDA shut those down in 2019. I think they may come down and try to do the same uh, because you really need clinically actionable guidance out of that. Mm -hmm. But I think the implementation is absolutely critical. So quite often... Um, what a system will do is they'll do a, a pharmacogenomic test and then they'll have a, a, an alert that comes up to optimize the medication. Um, but it's only for that one medication and it's not across the whole care team. And I think the difference of what we have is we have, to our knowledge, the most pharmacogenomic certified pharmacists in a single healthcare system. Um, so we have 11 uh, pharmacogenomic pharmacists who can once um, they've seen your medication list and seen how your genes impact those medic medications, optimize them across your entire care team. So maybe you saw a pharmacogenomic pharmacist in primary care, but you're seeing your endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. They will call the endocrinologist and say, hey, we'd like to optimize this for you. Or if you're on behavioral health, they'll call your behavioral health provider or your cardiologist or oncologist, whomever. And so having that centralized person that unifies the whole care team to optimize medications we think is uh, incredibly impactful um, because it's it's just really difficult to believe that you know maybe you see five or seven different physicians and mm -hmm. they're probably not calling each other every day um, which is a failure of our system honestly mm -hmm. so I think this um, from a from an implementation standpoint offers a lot of opportunity to improve overall care did I answer your question? Yeah, that was very helpful. Um, and and certainly amazing to have in our community here in Cincinnati. We have um, a lot of listeners that don't reside in Cincinnati. Is this something that others are doing in our region, our state, across the country? Obviously, you guys have built something special. Do you anticipate it to emerge in other markets and places? It's a, it's a great question. Um, so there are a few uh, academic medical centers and a few community or um, for-profit hospitals that are implementing this kind of program. Um, quite often, they'll implement one component. So it'll be, you know, proactive cancer testing, and we really want to make sure we do that. And, and then that, that um, the $10 word is somatic testing, where you test the, the spontaneous mutation in a tumor. Um, other systems will be focusing on cardiovascular. Some will be focusing on this uh, pharmacogenomics, you know, making sure genes match medications. Not many are doing all of them. Some of them are doing great. Um, again, some academic medical centers are ahead of others. There are a few private hospitals as well that have done a very good job. Um, but as far as the overall implementation, um, I, I believe what we offer um, is a model for what other healthcare systems could do. Um, and I think one of the great things that we have had so far is that our executive suite buys into the reality that this not only optimizes um, care for our patients, but also their outcomes. Mm -hmm. And that allows us to hopefully take care of more patients because we're doing the right thing. So I'm all, I'm a field of dreams guy. <laughs> yeah. Very much. If we build it right, hopefully people will come. That's great. Um, I am always curious one sort of uh, detail question. Um, 
sometimes in our, our world, once known conditions or risk factors are known, um, it creates a reason for denial of life insurance or things like that. Um, is there anything that an individual should be concerned about with knowing this information? Any downside to having it? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I think we discussed this earlier, Carrie, I, and maybe we didn't. Uh, but a very good friend of mine, Louise Slaughter, uh, was my congresswoman when I lived in New York. And out of grocery store conversations um, and conversations with many other people, obviously, she wrote the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, um, which prevents any health care um, from discriminating based on genetic information. What got watered down as the bill went through Congress was this life insurance. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and Incredibly sad, also the Indian healthcare system, and a few others, which um, is just heartbreaking to me. Uh, so there are some life insurance uh, providers that um, can, that can use the information. So it's definitely important for patients, uh, and we talk about this. And this is why I think it's really important to see a genetic counselor when you're doing this, because they understand all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least a provider who, who understands all of this background. Not all of them do. It's not a ding on them. This isn't their specialty. Um, but I recommend peop- people see a genetic counselor who can go through that information with them. We have many people who come in, see us, come back six months later after they've straightened out their life insurance and do the testing. And, um, and some people who go right ahead and say, I, I don't care, I want to know. Um, so, But it's a great question. Yeah. So again, it, it seems like this information is tremendously useful uh, for physicians, but for individuals trying to manage their overall health and, and certainly live longer and um, get ahead of some of these complex conditions or just ongoing conditions. Um, how would I know that my doctor is informed about what's happening in the world as it relates to genomics. If I'm searching for a new provider, how do I know if someone is um, on top of this or maybe coming along? It's a great question, and I don't know that there is a perfect answer. So plenty of systems like ours um, have on our website that we do precision health. Um, but getting down to the individual provider level, there's still you know that period of uptake. And it, that's that kind of 10 to 15 year delay. And, and um, so I always advocate for people advocating for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, definitely ask your provider, um, is this something that I can perform in your office? Do we have the expertise? Is it something I can possibly do elsewhere? Um, and will you integrate the information? So one of the, one of the real challenges of healthcare in the United States is that there are many, many, many people who get their care in three or four different systems. Um, I grew up in Canada, so I <laughs> advocate for the single-payer system, but we don't have that yet. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so it takes a patient self-advocating quite often. Um, so I encourage everyone listening, you know, take, take your health into your hands um, and ask questions. Uh, and certainly advocate for yourself. There was a, a study done in Europe, actually, where they offered free pharmacogenomic testing to the patient. And um, all they did was give the patient a QR code after their genetic testing that they could then take to their physician. They would scan it, and it would tell them what medications work for them or do not. And, um, and they found in that study 
um, over a 30% reduction in adverse events. So they weren't able to look at a lot of other things. It was across seven countries, and there's a lot of details. Um, but certainly just the patient self-advocating with that knowledge um, was very helpful for them. So I would definitely ask your provider, and um, if they don't know the answer, maybe ask someone else. And that is perfect and timely as I'm getting my physical tomorrow with my primary care doctor, <laughs> and I know the first question I'm going to ask her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there are several questions, right? You want to look at, at your family history, mm-hmm. um, and since it sounds like you're taking some medications, you want to make sure that they're optimized for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so I definitely know what to ask her and go from there because I think Perfect. that's, I mean, like you said, and it, like I think one thing that really stuck with me, you said that's a whole year if you're going on like an antidepressant or something like that with t- trial and error, that's a whole year of your life where you're yeah. probably miserable and can't figure out how to, what's making you feel miserable. And then like mental health is a big conversation everywhere, especially coming out of COVID and really terrible on your mental health yeah. and creating all these issues and when why would you spend that year of your life when you could hopefully have this test and make it a little less costly and time 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 consuming yeah absolutely and i'll if if i could i'll just give a quick example from our clinical trial so as we talked you know not even many people in the healthcare world know that this is happening and so it takes a long time so we started this clinical trial of, of pharmacogenomics and our chief nursing officer randomized to the trial and um, it wasn't mental health but it was she just had reflux but she'd had reflux for 12 years symptoms almost every day had tried had seen three specialists gotten scoped four times tried six different medications no relief of symptoms had the sleep sitting up bed and changed her diet everything randomized to our trial two days later after the genetics came back we got her on the right medication no symptoms for a year and a half wow and so if you just think of that, just like with the behavioral health, you may do the trial and error prescribing. Maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't. But if it doesn't, it's a lot of time. So now imagine someone, chief nursing officer in a hospital who wasn't aware, did this study. Um, and if you look back over 12 years, imagine the expense of her care in all mm-hmm. of what I mentioned compared to a relatively cheap one-time-for-your-lifetime pharmacogenomic test that optimizes all your medications for the rest of your life. And then, of course, we tested parents and her blood relatives, and they have some similar issues. So there's just, there's so much to offer here that I really hope we can implement this more broadly across the health systems. I love that, ending with a, a real personal story of, of the patient impact. Yeah. Sure. And like I mentioned, sometimes it's something that seems simple, but it has a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the outcomes are incredibly bad. So there's everything across the spectrum. It's crazy. Uh, I just, again, I would say advocate, um, be proactive about your health. If you have a family history of anything, ask your physician. Feel free to contact us at the Christ Hospital. Um, it's a simple, thechristhospital.com slash precision-health. Great. Thank you. Thanks yeah, I, was so like, I don't think we could end on a better note. That was like perfect. How do we do? Nothing we say in this podcast is representative of any specific plan and should not be considered as legal, regulatory, or accounting advice. If there are any discrepancies between what we say and your plan document, your plan document will prevail. If you have any questions about your benefits, please reach out to your HR representative.
Thanks for tuning in today. Our suggestion box is always open, so if you have a question you would like us to answer or a topic you would like us to cover, send us a message on Instagram at The Benefits Feed. And remember to subscribe on your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode, and be sure to follow us on social media for more benefit tips and tricks.